All right, we're going to have Brother Chapman come, and he's going to preach for us tonight. And again, we're certainly glad to have him with us. Again, a long time he's been a friend of our ministry, and a long time we've supported him and his wife and family, and well, we're just thrilled to have them with us. And so we're going to go ahead and do that. Listen, I, I don't normally do this, but I want to pray right now, okay, before he preaches. I feel like we just need that right now. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, okay? Father, again, I do pray, Father, you'd be with the man of God tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would fill this place with your Holy Ghost, that, Father, you would walk up and down these aisles. God of heaven, right now, Father, I just pray that we would just, uh, Father, dismiss every other thought that uh, is in our minds that would distract us from your word and distract us from the leadership of your Holy Ghost. Fill us with your spirit. Father, be with our speaker, and may you, Father, anoint his lips. May we hear with spiritual ears tonight. May what is said this evening... Truly, Father, resonate in our hearts and lives long after we've left this place. Holy Ghost of God, we beg your presence. We beg your power in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, brother. Thank you, sir. Well, Pastor, I appreciate your ministry. It has been 25 years that your church has been supporting us. Uh, First time I came to your church... uh, it was on a Wednesday night, and you were meeting in the pastor's basement. How many of you were there when they were meeting in the basement? You know, I don't know if you remember me coming by. I probably wasn't too impressive. You probably don't remember me. But, but I, uh, I can tell you, I've just followed this ministry, and I'm just thrilled what God's doing here. We live in a day and a time when they, people say, well, you can't do what you folks have been doing. And you've done it. Amen. I grew up in Akron. I went to a church over in Akron, Kenmore. Uh, got saved there, called to preach there, and uh, uh, 
went off to Bible school, started a church out in California. Then God called us to missions. And um, it's, been, uh, it's been a great life that God has called us to. It's been a wonderful life. I am so thankful to do what I'm doing. Perhaps I'll have another furlough in a few years. It's, I think it's been six years. I, I don't know how you take a furlough when you're, when you're in the middle of stuff. Uh, can you imagine pastor taking a year off here? I mean, I don't, you know, it's hard to do. I'm, I'm really only taking eight months, and that's the best I can do. And uh, times have changed, though. It's hard to get into every church. You know why it's hard to get into every church? A lot of churches don't have Wednesday nights anymore. Can't get into Wednesday nights. A lot of churches, I've got several Wednesday nights open as the year progresses. Uh, churches don't want missionary on, on uh, Sunday night anymore. Pastor's embarrassed to have you in for ten people or so. Uh, used to be you couldn't get a Sunday, Sunday morning when I first started. But now, everybody wants me on Sunday morning. I keep thinking it's my age and my, my good looks and my abilities and all, but I don't know if that's it or not after uh, what I've seen with my Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. But we've managed to get all of our Sunday nights uh, filled, but i got a few missions conferences. But uh, I'm just glad I could be with you tonight and, and spend a little time with you. As we've said in the video, the video is designed for people who know a little bit about our ministry. But um, we've just recently turned the ministry over to the Moldovans, even though I'm still on the board and I still have some responsibility to be there once a year to a board meeting and um, see what they're doing and make sure that they're doing the right thing. But uh, we've got some good men there and they're doing a good job. Um, one of the things I need you to pray about for the future, even though I'm uh, right in the middle of, a, of an African ministry, I do have another missionary coming to help me. Uh, a fellow in his 30s, he's got five kids. All missionaries have four or five kids, I think. Uh, you should know you have them in here, but uh, a lot of us uh, have a lot of children. But I've got a missionary coming to help me. He's going to help me start the Bible school. I need somebody to come and um, uh, help me with the, the, uh, the, the medical side of things. I'm, I've kind of learned how to do triage. Um, I'm a doctor with a doctorate in theology, not a doctor of medicine, but... Uh, they call me Dr. Eric there, and the, the Africans don't know the difference. But uh, I, I basically, a doctor hands out aspirin and uh, Tylenol and that kind of stuff. But we need somebody to come and help us with that ministry. We, we have the ability to expand it. We have the ability to run it six to eight months a year if we had a full-time person doing that. So pray with me about that, please. We are in the process in Moldova, though, of sending missionaries uh, and also training people from Central Asia. And... Uh, it's been pointed out to me that um, we need somebody with my qualifications to come back to Moldova and work in Central Asia. And I told them, pray about it, that maybe in two or three years I could do it if this new missionary does well and if we could find one more person. I don't know if that's God's will or not, but I'd ask you to pray. Uh, I'm certainly able to expand. Now, I've had people ask me, how can you work in Moldova and Malawi? Well, I can't really. Um, you know, it's kind of like Coca-Cola. If you train the right people and you get the right people in place, you could run in 80, 90 countries, right? I mean, it's just a question of uh, making disciples. And, um, you know, I've known pastors, friends of mine, and I don't know if this church has done that. I didn't ask your pastor, but they've started other churches in other places and, uh, you know, and sent people out to do it. And then they, they've, they've trained these people to go do that. And so the men in Moldova, I have spent a lot of years with training them and preparing them to run that ministry without me. And uh, I'm just glad that I'm still in, I wouldn't say my prime, but pretty close to my prime, where I can still go back and uh, help them if they need help. And uh, they can call me on the phone or we can get on Skype or, you know, it's a great day to be a missionary. Uh, 
I, I don't have to feel too bad about not seeing my grandkids because I can get on Skype with them and talk to them. And as they get older, they realize it's really us and not some cartoon they're watching. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. We've got five grandkids now. Uh, we had four daughters. I think some of you know that. We had four daughters, and then it didn't look like we were going to have any boys, you know, because the, the kids kept giving me granddaughters. And finally, we had a grandson. And he spent uh, the summer in Moldova. He's three years old and spent the summer with us. And I have to say, he nearly wore us out, but we sure had a good time with him anyway. My granddaughter, she was with us as well, and uh, she's seven. And uh, I was a little, little bit afraid. She, she said to me about the middle of the time she was with us, she said, can I just stay here and live with you all the time? They call me Pappy. Pappy, can I just stay and live with you? I said, why do you want to live with us? And she said, well, my mom and dad, they don't give me ice cream. We can't have candy and sweets. Now, you've got to remember, I run a camp, right? <laughs> I, have a, I have a snack shop where they sell ice cream and sweets. You know, and she lost three teeth or two teeth or three teeth with me, and I'm putting money under her pillow, so she's just buying sweets every day, having the time of her life. And she wanted to stay with me, and I said, no, if you lived with me, you couldn't have sweets. I'd be just like your mom and dad, and I'm trying to smooth that over. And then she came to me later, and she says, you know that girl running the snack shop? How about if I just go live with her? You never know what kids are thinking. But, you know, we all like sweets, don't we? We all like things that aren't good for us. And I'm I'm no exception to that, that's for sure. But uh, pray for our ministry, and we're just... uh we're just glad that we can be your missionary. I'm glad that you support us. We feel like we're a little bit a part of you folks. Uh, I'm from Akron, and you know, and I and I always sympathize with people from this part of the country, you know, because uh, I'm a Browns fan too, you know. And uh, you know, our only hope is Ohio State usually, although the Cavs aren't doing too bad lately. Well, maybe not now, but I think we're doing pretty good. But anyway, uh, I'm just really, really glad to be home. This is home for me. So. And if I were here living around here, I, I believe I'd be a member of this church. I like what I'm seeing here. And uh, I've enjoyed it. I mean, I understand the music you're all playing. I, I get it. I've been in churches. I don't know what they're singing. Some fellow said, said to me, he says, aren't you going to sing? And I said, I don't know. I can't sing to that stuff you're singing. But the stuff you folks are singing, then, that's what I grew up with. Amen. So I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. I, I'm assuming you still use the old King James Bible. Am I right? Good thing, because that's what I've got. All right. Wonderful. You know, I want to start off telling you a story that I told probably my first furlough back here. And the reason I want to tell that story again is because that's really where God got a hold of my heart for missions. That first term as a missionary, God got a hold of my heart and, and I, I just that's when I committed to be a missionary the rest of my life. Um, I thought when I went I was going to be a missionary the rest of my life, but you know, I went to a very, very difficult area. I went to an area where they turned off the electricity half the day. There was no running water half the day. We went to an area where you couldn't buy anything in a grocery store. There was no food. You could go to the open market and you could get cabbage and maybe you could get onions. Maybe you could get potatoes. You go and try to find sugar. There was no sugar. Uh, I found the lady that had worked in the sugar plant and she sold me a big uh, burlap bag full of sugar, 50, 50 kilos, 110 pounds. Same thing you had to do with flour. You had to find somebody that worked there in the plant, but you couldn't buy it anywhere. So we lived there in difficult days. And, um, but after I'd been there a while, you saw in, the, in the, the beginning of my video where we were, uh, and it looks like old video because it is old video, and that's where we started our first church. And I don't know, how many seats do you have in here, Pastor? 500? The auditorium we were meeting in was a cinema complex, 
and it had a wide area like this. Maybe it was probably more, not so, this is kind of, I don't know what you call it anymore. I can't remember the English word, but uh, rounded, where that was just a sort of like a regular traditional cinema auditorium. But we had a large uh, front area. And um, it had 600 seats. And we were filling those 600 seats in our initial evangelization there. Lots of people were coming. Um, I used to ask people to stay after, and they, and then they would stay after so I could explain to them the gospel, and anybody who wanted to get saved, just stay after. And it seemed like we had three, four hundred people stay after every service. And it wasn't long until you realize everybody who's staying after is praying the sinner's prayer every week. So I decided the sinner's prayer wasn't going to work for Orthodox people. Because Orthodox people are looking for a prayer. And I think that's what's going to save them is the prayer. You know, the women's committee came, and that's before we started a church. You always have a women's committee. All right, whether they call it a women's committee or not, there's a bunch of women that are going to get together and they're going to come tell you what you need to do. And they came to me and told me what I needed to do. They said, you need to write out that prayer. You know that prayer you have us pray? Lord, I'm a sinner. And, you know, and just go on, you know. And they said, we need that written down so we can pray that every day. I said, well, this is not working. And I was about three months into it. And uh, finally, one Sunday about three or four months into our initial evangelization there in the city of Tiraspol, I was preaching the gospel to the people. And I noticed that people were weeping all over the auditorium. I could hear them sobbing. And it dawned on me, the Spirit of God spoke to me, and it dawned on me as the Spirit was speaking to me, that finally people understand who Jesus is and what He's done for them. So I, as quickly as I could, got out of the way, and I told the folks, I'm going to kneel here at the, at the altar, and if you'll come... You know, you stay on your knees till you know for sure you're a child of God. We're not going to pray with you. You pray. You've heard me talk to you enough. You come if that's what God has for you to do. And about 400 people came and prayed and asked Jesus to save them. And it was an exciting day. Um, In that particular meeting, sitting on the front row about where my wife is sitting, there was a little lady about five foot tall. I believe she was about 70 years old. In Russia, we call them babushka. That means grandmother. It's not an insult there to call an older woman grandmother. I knew I was getting old when people in Moldova started calling me grandfather. First time somebody did that, I thought, what? And I said, who told you I was a grandfather? <laughs> but that's not what they meant. That's just what they call us, grandfather. My wife doesn't get called grandmother because she, she doesn't have gray hair. But I, I do, so... Uh, that little lady was sitting on the front row. And, when, of course, it was winter when we started. We started in November of 1993. And uh, for three months, uh, she just looked like a, a, a big furball because she had so many layers of clothes on because we didn't have heat in our building. Didn't have electricity half the time either. Can you imagine that in a cinema? We had one little light I used to stand under and preach so I could see my Bible. But the little lady... After everybody had gotten saved, and she was one that came to the altar as well. She sat in the front. She was one of the first ones there. She asked me one day if I would come to her house and visit with her. She had some questions for me. I thought, well, that's exciting. We'll go. And I went there with a couple of the men from the church, and we visited with her. And she just lived in one little room. Uh, It's called in Russian language, Apshajiti. Apshajiti means that it's just... It's like a, a hostel. Just you have a room. Everybody has a room, and and you use a common kitchen area. You have a common toilet and bath area. 
In her particular building, the, the toilet hadn't worked in years, so somebody put an outhouse behind the building. Probably two, three hundred people lived in that building where she lived. And we walked into that little tiny room, probably the, the size of your average bedroom here in America. And there there was a table, and there was some chairs, and there was a, a place with a, um, a dresser where you hang clothes, and maybe a, a couple other uh, small areas with shelves on it. But not a very big room at all. She had a little place where she could cook, a little hot pad plate there, a pot plate where she could cook. And when we sat down there, she put tea in front of us, and she put a little sugar. And I felt guilty that she had sugar and that I was going to use it, so I decided I would drink my tea without sugar, because sugar was expensive. She was a pensioner. She had no money. Uh, pensions, had, the, the economy had fallen apart there, and I imagine she was receiving 2 to $3 a month in a pension, just enough to buy a few potatoes and be able to sustain herself. But she put some sugar on the table, and she had a few cookies, just a few, and I didn't touch those either. And as we talked, she gave her testimony, and we read the Bible together. We'd given them a Bible if they came five weeks, and we read the Bible together, and... Um, We talked about her salvation and she gave her testimony, how she was saved. And she was saved on that day when all the other people had come forward that day. And she said she finally understood the gospel. But she said, I brought you here today to ask you one question. She said, before you came, I was married. I lived in this with my two daughters. My two daughters grew up and they married and they moved away. My husband lived and I lived here alone. Two years before you came, my husband died. She said, my husband was an atheist, communist. And she said, my question to you today is, Brother Chapman, where is my husband today? I couldn't tell her. I didn't want to tell her. Finally, she said, oh, Brother Chapman, I understand that there's no hope for him. And then she said, I wish you would have come sooner. Well, I came at the appointed time. I, I couldn't have come any sooner. But for a, for a few moments, I thought, I wish I would have come sooner as well. And I want you to know that that motivated me for years there in Moldova. As we bought the youth camps, I was thinking, there are young people that have never heard the gospel. When we were starting churches, I thought in this particular village where we're starting a church, there are people that have never heard about Jesus Christ. And if we don't get the gospel to them, they will die and go to hell. We could not have come sooner, but we came when we could. And we were there now, and we were going to do our best to win people to Christ. Just as there are people in this part of Akron, there are people not far from here, who really have no comprehension or understanding of the gospel. And if this church is not a lighthouse to them, they will not be saved. And so that falls upon you as it fell upon me there in the city of Tiraspol to get the gospel out. And now I am in Africa, and I'm not just working in Zomba, but we're working in many places there. Over 140 villages, over 140 pastors, new churches that have been started. But it falls upon us to get the gospel to those people, and in a way in which they can understand it and comprehend it, so that they might be saved or have an opportunity to be saved. Well, just about everywhere I've been in my ministry, I've seen people saved. And I've been very, very pleased that God has used me as an evangelist in many places. 
And I don't really feel that my gifting is a pastor. All right? I feel that God has called me more to an evangelistic ministry, but an evangelistic ministry overseas. And particularly right now with an emphasis on Malawi right now. And uh, I've, just been, I've just been thrilled how God has used me to see people saved. But sometimes I felt like, as I've studied the Bible, that perhaps there has been something missing. A number of years ago, I was looking at something in the Scripture. I was looking at the Apostle Paul, back when they called him Saul. And I'm not going to go back to the book of Acts and look at that, but I, I want to begin there. Because there, in the book of Acts, when we find Saul, we find Saul is holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen. We find that Saul went to the high priest and got a letter that he might go and persecute the church in Damascus. And then we also know, and I, I know you know this, I know you're, you're an educated group tonight. I mean, it's a Wednesday night, right? Most of you know the Bible fairly well, or maybe very well. Um, he was converted on the road to Damascus, or shortly after. He heard the voice of Jesus, and he understood what he was doing, and he understood his sin. But when we come over to Romans chapter 9, we see a progression in the life of Saul or Paul, and I'd like to ask the question tonight, which I will try to answer. How did he get from the Damascus Road to chapter 9, the first few verses of the book of Romans? Where he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continued sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How did we get from the Damascus Road to where Paul was willing to even give up his own salvation if it meant the salvation of his people? How did we get from him being perhaps a very wealthy man? Perhaps he was in line to be one of the priests and one of the great men of Israel, a great scholar. He gave up his wealth. He gave up his religion. He gave up his family. He gave up his wife. He gave up a lot of things in order that he might suffer persecution, that he might be beaten, in order that he might preach the gospel and even go so far as to say, I would be willing to give up my own salvation for my people. And I'll tell you tonight, when I, when I look at the life of Paul, and I put, you put it in that context, I find myself a bit wanting tonight. I find myself wishing that I could be more like that. And I don't know how you feel about that. But I wonder tonight, have you thought about that? Because I think the progression that Paul takes in his life is possible for each one of us here tonight. And if we go back and we look at chapter 8, we will see how Paul got from the Damascus Road to chapter 9 of Romans. We'd even go back to chapter 7. He's talking about the law in chapter 7. He's talking about how the law is spiritual, but the law also 
tells us how carnal we are and how wicked we are and how short we fall of the gospel, how, how short we fall of the standard of God here. All right? I don't think we have to go back and talk a great deal about it. I don't want to take the time to do that. But by the time Paul is finished talking about the law, he comes to the conclusion in verse 24 that he is a wretched man. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. You know? Have you ever gotten to that place? I've been there. I've been there. And uh, I think Paul may have been saying that almost immediately after he's finished talking about this. Oh, I'm a wretched man. But who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But he answers that question in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Jesus is it. Jesus is it. All right. And then we're going to come into chapter 8 and we're going to talk about the Spirit. And... uh, uh, I want to look in verse 8 and uh, read down to about verse 15. I think it's important. Uh, I know you've read it before, but I want us to think about it in the context of which I've, I've brought it tonight. And Let's look at verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are, in the, but, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now, several times, if you look here in this verse, these verses, he's going to say the word if. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, we are in a Baptist church, right? Amen? Baptist church. We do believe that when we're saved, we have the Spirit, right? Am I right, Pastor? All right, I'll make sure. If... So be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, for as many as have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ, if Christ be in you, so is Christ in you? Okay, I heard, I heard somebody moan out there. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Look at verse 11. But if, here we got that word if again, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that's a pretty powerful force, isn't it? Wow. If the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Wow. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if, here we have that word if again, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again into fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now just stop and look at verse 15 for a second. From the very beginning, when Paul was saved, he did not have the spirit of fear. I'll tell you what I'm seeing in America today. I'm seeing a church that's fearful. I'm seeing a church that's been intimidated by the world. Everywhere I go, I'm hearing we can't win people to Jesus the way we used to do it. Now, What are they talking about? I know what they're talking about. 
Most of them aren't even thinking of putting the gospel aside. But you know that's exactly what's happening in our country? Because the gospel is an offense. Well, hey, it has always been an offense. Well, the gospels, you know, we're, we're, they think we're fools. So did not the Lord tell us we would be? It has always been so. I was just with a guy a few weeks ago, and he was telling me, like, you can't reach millennials the way we used to reach millennials. And you've got more millennials here than he does, and he's trying to reach them the new way. And you know how you're reaching them? The old way. With the Word of God and the Gospel. That's what we're doing overseas. When your pastor said we're doing the same thing, that's exactly what he meant. The old ways. The Gospel. And then Paul is telling them here that the most powerful force on earth is the Spirit of God that dwells in you. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I'm over in Africa and I told the pastor a little bit and I don't want to get too much into this because, you know, if I do, everybody gets really wants to hear about this more than anything we do. Uh, It's not that important. But uh, we've been having a problem in the last year in Africa in that... um, we have come to the conclusion that the witch doctors have infiltrated the church mostly through the charismatic ministry, charismatic churches. Because the witch doctors do all these sensational things. And then what I'm beginning to find is, is that many of the pastors in Malawi, and not just Malawi, but a great deal of South Africa, are coveting this power that they're seeing. You can go online sometime and you can Google some of these guys in Africa. They call themselves bishop or uh, prophet or some name like that. And um, there's one guy out of Malawi. He calls himself Major One. Now, that's a made-up name, okay? He wasn't born with the name Major One. All right? And uh, his last name, I don't know if this is his real name, but uh, Bushiti is his name. And he is one of the richest men in the world... And he has the power of a witch doctor, and he calls himself a Christian prophet. People from all over the world fly there and pay $1,000 to spend 10 to 20 minutes with this guy. He does miracles on the stage. He elevates himself. He does some crazy thing with the cell phone where he takes, he, he'll look through and he'll take a picture and he'll say, do you know this person there? And he'll say, yeah, it's my wife. And he'll say, yeah, I know where, where she is right now. And he'll, he'll, he'll do a video or something showing where his wife is. And the guy just falls on his face, can't believe it, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I don't know what that is, but, you know, I guess you could rig that kind of stuff. But uh, he does some crazy things and they're all doing it. And all the guys in Africa, and it doesn't matter what denomination, they want that power because look how rich they are. Look how important they've become. Look how powerful they are. You know something? The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't lift Eric Chapman up to be a powerful man. The Holy Spirit doesn't make Eric Chapman a rich man. And I can tell you that that's true, isn't it, honey? We're not that rich, are we? The Holy Spirit doesn't give a man that kind of power so he can elevate himself. The Holy Spirit gives us power that we might preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the power of the Holy Ghost is to change the lives of men from wicked sinners unto righteous men as Paul was changed. That's what the power of the Holy Ghost gives us. And if you're looking for the other kind of power, you can get it for a time from Satan, but it's a deceitful thing and it will destroy your life. And the lives of others. There's no gospel in that other stuff. 
But you and I possess the Spirit of the living God. And I ask you today, how can we fail when we possess the Spirit of God? How can the church of Jesus Christ fail when the Spirit of the God is, the Spirit of God is dwelling within us? The very power of the resurrection dwells within us. To bring men from death to life through the Spirit of God. How in the world can I fail as a missionary? I cannot. And I see young people come and they quit. I see missionaries who, who, who come for a short time and they have a hardship and they stop. Of course the devil will fight us. Of course the flesh will fail us. But God never fails. And the Spirit of God is always with us. He said, I'll be with you even to the end of the world. My dear brothers and sisters, when we fail, the tragedy is within our own flesh. If the Spirit of God be in you, if the Spirit of God be in you, you shall live and you shall have life. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather have life than death. I think these are some of the most encouraging verses in the world. Thousands of years ago, our brothers and sisters in Christ stood before the Roman dictators and they put them in a place where they were going to be devoured by wild animals or they stuck them in a prison where they were going to die in darkness. And yet they knew because of Jesus they had life and they were willing to suffer. And I ask you today, how many of us have suffered like that? I can tell you I haven't. I've been the deepest, darkest Africa. And I, I'm telling you, I've been the deepest, darkest Africa. I'm in the, one of the poorest countries in the world. And I do not feel as I have suffered as our brothers before have suffered. I do not feel I have suffered. Usually I can turn the electric lights on and they work, don't they, honey? You sometimes, yeah. Usually I have some water that runs in my house. If I have electricity, I have the internet. And I can see my grandchildren thousands of miles away. Boy, what a time we live in. And yet we act like these are the worst days ever. And we act like that because we're failing, because we are not living by the Spirit, but by the flesh. Well, Pastor, I'm sorry. I, I Pastor on Sunday night told me I was stepping on some toes. Maybe I just feel like that's what I'm supposed to do this furlough. You know, I, I don't. I just don't believe I'm supposed to come and just be a missionary. I'm supposed to come and be a minister. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to let the pastor do what he wants. Or maybe if you have some time, you can ask me some questions or whatever you want to do. I've got a guy that works with me. His name is Friday. Can you remember that? Sometimes I joke that his brother Thursday. We haven't, you know, got him in our team yet, but he doesn't really have a brother Thursday. But Friday got saved a few years ago, and some of the guys uh, came to me one day several years ago, and they said, you've got to see what this guy's doing. His name is Friday. And I said, well, what a name. And they said, yeah, Friday has been saved for three months, and he's already won like 26 people to Jesus. And he's got this little group of people, and uh, he wants you to come and meet them. And... Um, so I went to where Friday was meeting, and 
He didn't have 26. He had about about 75. Maybe they just came because they heard the uh, white fellow was coming. But um, uh, he had built a church out of uh, sticks and grass. And he was real excited I was there. And, and I was asking him about his work. And he was just telling me how he'd gotten saved and, and how he just felt like everybody needed to hear about Jesus and how important it was. And I thought, well, that's exciting. And um, a few years later, I met Friday. Now, I'd, he'd been coming to all of our schools and all, so he was, you know, I'd saw, I saw him quite often. But um, one day I saw Friday, and we were talking, and he said, you know, I've started two new churches. I'd like for you to come and see them. And I put this in my prayer letter a few years ago, uh, Pastor, but um, I said, okay, I'll come see your, your churches. And so I was down there, and on the way back, I picked him up, and his wife got in the car too, and there was a couple of us there. And his wife got in the car, and we drove an hour on a paved road. Then we got off a paved road and drove into the bush uh, about two, two and a half hours. And I'm telling you, we went through rivers, and we went over some big rocks, and we went over some hills, and went into some dales and everything else, you know. And uh, I just couldn't believe how far away it was. I thought we were going to go close, and we went a long ways away. And I met, the, I met some people there. I met 20, 30 people in one church and about the same in another. And when it was all over, I was talking to Friday and his wife. And uh, I said, Friday, I'm just curious about some things. I said, how did you get here? He said, well, I borrowed a bicycle. And then his wife spoke up and she said, well, I got on the back of the bicycle with him. And, she, and he, Friday said, yeah, and she, she had a baby on her back. <laughs> and she said, yeah, and I was also six months pregnant. So, you know, I mean, four souls on a bike. And I said, well, how long did it take to get out here? I mean, it took me three, out, three, three and a half hours to drive. And anybody will tell you that when I'm driving, I'm a moving. I ain't got time to waste. I bet your pastor's the same way. But anyway, oh, he's a slow. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, there are a few pastors drive like that, but I don't know. But anyway, how long did it take? He says, well, we left about five. That's about sunup. And he said, it's been a couple hours after dark. I said, well, that's about seven or eight. He said, yeah, that sounds about right. Thirteen or fourteen hours on a bike. And Friday, what was so important about coming all this way? He said, you know, I was born here. And he said, these people didn't know anything about God. There's a few churches, but they don't preach the gospel. Even the pastors don't know about God. And they needed to hear about Jesus. And I thought for a few moments, am I really a missionary? Friday's a missionary. Friday has a third grade education. He sells charcoal for a living. He lives in one room house he built with his own hands with a straw roof and a mud floor. And he gave up three days of his time to go out there and preach the gospel and rode on a bicycle for 13 or 14 hours. Folks, Friday didn't even know the theology behind why it was so important to get there. Friday had to go. He was compelled by the Holy Ghost. If you'd have asked Friday, explain to me about the Holy Ghost, he could not have done it at that time. We've since taught him. But he couldn't have done it. He was compelled by the Holy Ghost to get on a bike and go preach the gospel to his own people. Hours away from his home. And we can't tell our neighbor about Jesus. 
We can't go down the street and knock on a few doors. We can't teach a Sunday school class. We're just too busy. You know, I've talked to people and they've said, well, we can't come to church much because, you know, kids got baseball. Well, what's important, huh? Had a guy come over and put a roof on for me. He's the brother of a, of a baseball player. He used to play for the Indians. Travis Fryman's brother came over. And the big thing we were talking about is how he can't go to Sunday morning church anymore because his boys are in a baseball league because baseball is real important to the Frymans. And we asked him, if your kids grow up and they go to hell, was baseball that important? And he said, I better think about that. I said, you better think about that. You see, churches aren't having Wednesday nights. They're not having Sunday nights. They don't have outreach program. I talked to a pastor just a couple churches back. I said, what's your outreach program here? And he looked at me, what are you talking about? I thought, well, I think I've hit a nerve. Well, I'm just curious what you're doing to reach people with the gospel. He said, well, we brought somebody in to teach, somebody in to teach a seminar. And he says, I think they're trying to reach people. But nobody's getting saved because there's no outreach. Friday, got on a bike and went 13, 14 hours. What are we doing? Folks, we cannot fail. We cannot fail. Because we have the greatest power within us if we're saved. And chapter 6 of Romans says, if you yield to righteousness or you can yield to the flesh, which one are you going to yield to? You see, we have the choice. This flesh can be lazy. This flesh can do nothing. We can yield to that. We can say that. We can yield to something other than the Spirit. Or we can yield to the Spirit of God and do what the Spirit wants us to do. Folks, that's all I've got for you tonight. Pastor, you want to come? Whatever you think needs to be done tonight, I don't know. Folks, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the gospel. God's given us that commission to take it to all the world. Pastor.